This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We haven't gotten rid of the new intro yet, and I'm happy about that. <laughs> Jeff, Jaren, Eric, and Jeff, Eric, and uh, Brian with you here on uh, our first September show, boys. Doesn't really feel like September, right? It's kind of like, I mean, we got basketball playoffs on. Like football is like kind of started. We had that FCS game last week. We're gonna have more games this weekend, but I, I don't know. It's I, I'm all thrown off. Like like we're five days away from Labor Day, and it doesn't feel like it. I don't know. Eric uh, Lopez, Mer- Brian Murphy, what do you guys think about this? In Florida, it never feels like September until like December. <laughs> because fair in point. September, it feels like June. It's, it's 95 and rainy. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just still thrown off by Murph's name on the open credits here and the fact that it's his full name. We didn't just call him Murphy like the WWE does. So, <laughs> Eric, Eric, let me stop you right there. Are you trying to make me mad? Are you trying to like <laughs> me off? You know, I don't Look at that. my name being in the show credits. I'm just saying, be glad we be glad that we didn't just call you Murphy like the WWE does with their version. Well, how about this? I, did, I didn't get Brian mad in the intro. How about that? That that honor goes to you, Eric Lopez. We got lots to talk about today. Um, Tune in to next week's episode of the Black and Gold Banneret to see who will make me irate in the right. intro. <laughs> Brian Murphy destroys Jeff and Eric on the. Um, Yes, eviscerates the. Um, we got a couple of things to talk about here, uh, but we do have plenty of plenty of football news to talk about uh, with the opt outs. We got a list of opt outs from uh, UCF. Josh Heupel revealed those to us uh, earlier um, this week, and one of them is already declared for the NBA or NBA draft, NFL draft. Um, and we may or may not have some news on Mackenzie Milton. I know you've been looking forward to that. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit about what's going on around the American preseason polls are out. Um, and, uh, and, and what UCF football is going to look like for the opener on October 3rd, or at least what we think right now in terms of attendance and, um, and, and what fans are going to be looking forward to. But we start with, um, the opt-outs and namely one specific opt-out. 10 UCF players have officially opted out of the 2020 season. The biggest names, uh, Daryl Mack. Uh, well, has opted out, quarterback. Uh, Tay Gowan, the defensive back. Kalia Davis and Mason Chalewa, the uh, defensive lineman. Um, a couple other guys were, uh, were, were freshmen or walk-ons. Devontae Dawson was a uh, defensive back, was expected to contribute. Three offensive linemen, Alan Adams, Marius Benson, and Adrian Medley, and uh, a couple other guys on defense, Elijah Benoit and Kendrick Wilson. Um, but the big news was that actually broke earlier today when Tay Gowan, uh, it was revealed, um, has declared for the NFL draft. Uh, Brian Murphy, you had said in your article looking at the top at the ten opt outs that um, that Tay was probably the biggest loss on paper. You know, second team all conference uh, according to Pro Football Focus, um, excellent advanced stats as a DB. Uh, in a loaded secondary, granted, but uh, he's uh, he's heading up to the uh, next level, and so far he's the only one who's actually 
um, express that that desire. So uh, is 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 it a surprise that he's uh, going the NFL route here? No, um, only because Tay, for those who follow him on social media, has really been hinting at this for weeks now. Right. Um, it's not. But like even knowing Tay, as I wrote my art in my story today about his about his decision to go pro, he basically was thinking about this day since before he arrived at UCF because he thought that he would come to UCF and be a one and done player and leave after his junior year. Um, but really, I think you know. And then during the bowl week, uh, the Gasparilla Bowl week, he told me he was coming back uh, for a senior year to sort of shine. And had that spotlight without Navelle Clark, he was going to be, you know, basically assured a starting spot. And with Brandon Moore still on the mend, uh, he was clearly UCF's best cornerback starting the season. Um, but I, I, you know, th- this has always been in the back of Tay's mind. This is always something he's really wanted to do. And this it, it, is not, I, I, you know, people will, you know, people on social media will say like, well, he he should have stuck around because he's not ready yet or whatever. He, they, the problem is. People do not take into account a player or a person's personal background. Tay Gowan did not have a, 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 like to put it lightly, and I will not go into specifics, uh, did not have a very easy childhood. And he really is looked upon right now to not only provide for himself, but provide for most of his family. He has a young young daughter who was born premature, as he said in his message to UCF fans today. Um, that, that he that he really really wants to support. Uh, plus, as he said, also he contracted COVID uh, earlier this year mm-hmm. and just doesn't just does not want to add add in that risk of possibly contracting it again and you know possibly passing it on to to his daughter. Uh, and so there are so many things that have really nothing to do with football that are reasons why Tay has decided to go to the draft. And I, I hope people understand that that he really, more than a football decision, this is a this is a family decision. This it's is a life decision. decision. Yeah, it really is. This is based. About, this is a guy who, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this. This is a guy who, from the age of I think five years old, told his mother that it's it's okay, we're gonna be all right. At the age of five, he told her that. Uh, and so I think he's always had that sort of on his on his soul on his mind. That that he needs to be the guy to help to help everybody in his family, and so this is what he's this is what he's chosen to do. And with this season, with all the uncertainty, you know, who knows how many games we play? Uh, if he gets hurt, you know, that hurts his that would probably hurt his draft stock then. So, I, you know, as as we've seen many players do already across the nation, you know, if you want to go to the draft, leave now, train for April, uh, and, and just get ready. Um, and, and and that's what Tay has, tro- has, has chosen to do. And I could not be happier for him. Well, especially Murph, don't you think a small part of that, he was there when Bam Moore got hurt last year in the opener. Yeah. And was out for the year. And you've brought, and you obviously have illustrated all the examples, but doesn't, I mean, that has to play in your mind. You know, we've talked about the virus situation, but, you know, this, most of these teams have not had a spring, did not have spring, they mm-hmm. haven't had the normal summer. I don't consider this a normal fall practice. Yeah. So I would argue, and this is something I'm going to be looking for, not just in the college game, but I think in the NFL this year is, do we see an uptick in injuries because of the, all the unusual 
circumstances with the lack of practice and things like that, guys are not top tip. So if, if, if you're Gowan and your goal is to get in the NFL, take it in your own hands. Don't let it come down to either catching the virus or getting an injury. And I think the BAM, the BAM injury has to be in the back of his mind. Has to be, doesn't it, Murph? Possibly. I don't know that explicitly, but you bring you bring up a good point, Eric. You know, you, you, there's there's more there's a lot there's more risk than just COVID contracting COVID nineteen in this season. It's it's the run up, and we've seen like I know it's a different sport, but in baseball there has been there has been a, a much higher incidence rate yep. of injuries yep. this year. Baseball with with the shortened training camps and stuff like that. Now the training camp for for football has been as long, but they're doing different things. That they're doing things that are just not in the normal. And I wonder, you know, the, how that might, you know, reveal itself when we get to season, when we get to regular season play. Um, but yeah, so I'm definitely looking for that as well. Um, I, I just think, you know, I don't know if, if Tay really thought about Brandon Moore's injury. I know he knows, you know, where he was on this depth chart. I'm sure he would have liked to be the guy because he certainly would have been the number one guy in that defensive backfield at, at out wide yeah. corner. Our, our lads actually had him as as the top as as a starter this year. So well, uh, no, there's no, there's no question. He is he's un, he's un, un, like un, indisputable that uh, he, he's absolutely their top corner outside. I mean, obviously Aaron Robinson's on the on, in the nickel on the inside. He's very good. Um, but I'm sure I'm, I'm sure he would like to have that spotlight, that challenge every week against number one receivers. But there are things both in the current situation uh, and where we are with, with, with COVID, but also just his personal background that went into this decision. And it's not a surprise um, just because I know that Tay has thought about this for a long, long time. One guy who said he would be back is Kalia Davis, and he actually confirmed that on Twitter. Um, PFF, you mentioned, had him uh, first-team all-conference. Excellent pass rusher. Um he kind of, but it, 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 when you add it up with him and then some of those other younger guys, it, it, well, I, I mentioned younger guys like Kendrick Wilson, although he, I don't know how much he would have contributed, but also, you know, Mason Chile was, uh, you know, not going to be play either. So a little bit of softening on that front seven a little bit there, Murph, don't you think? Right. And, and Jeff, you should know, I mean, no one else will know what I'm talking about, but it's, it's pronounced Cholua. Cholua. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, Mason. Uh, but yeah. And so th- those are two defensive tackles that you, that you, you know, UCF takes out of the rotation. Now UCF wrote as rotated, you know, seven or eight guys on the defensive line per game. And they still have, you know, guys on the inside uh, like Cam Good, uh, Noah Hancock, uh, um, Anthony Montalvo at D tackle, obviously Kenny Tunier. Is, is the best player on the inside uh, of the 4-3 or the 4-2-5. I'm interested to see if now, because of those two defensive tackle opt-outs, if we see UCF try to shift guys who have more tr- traditionally played on the on the edge, like a Landon Woodson or a Crystal Loach, uh, who, who technically who really mostly played on the defensive, uh, defensive end spots last year, if they would move inside more. Mm-hmm. Because I think UCF is pretty good at defensive end uh, with guys like Randy Charlton, Stefan Zayas, uh, Trayvon Boris Brash. Uh, so, but again, I, I think, I, I guess the, the big takeaway is UCF still has plenty of, of depth, plenty of guys who have game experience from last season and the season before that to sort of cover 
the, the losses on the inside of the defensive line. I am more concerned with the, the defensive backfield because with, with Tay out and Brandon Moore still healing, yeah. uh, the, the outside corner spots are basically going to be Zamari Maxwell, who did, did play in a bunch of games last year. I believe he started six games. Um, but he's really, right now, your most experienced corner on the outside. And then they're going to have to really work in a lot of freshmen. Now, the early word is these freshmen have been great. Guys like Justin Hodges, Corey Thornton, who uh, was named 24-7 Sports as a true freshman All-American this week. Um, and, and, and so those guys have, have impressed so far in camp. But they are going to be thrown in the fire early on and often this year with with Gowan gone and and more back or more coming back later, we don't know when. It sounds like Brandon Moore will play it at some point this year, but you know, will he be the Brandon Moore of previous years? Like it's a you know, we don't know that. So all of a sudden, that that power that power secondary that we were looking at back in January. Remember why I wrote up mm-hmm. the the early depth chart back in January, and you had Brandon Moore, we thought would be healthy for the start of the season. You had Tay Gowan. Uh, and, and now it's like, well, both those guys won't, won't be playing week one. Tay won't be playing at all. And so now we're going to really see what, what UCF's cornerback depth, which, again, they have enough of. But what is it really made of? Yeah. The other guy I was I was looking at, too, was uh, Devontae Dawson, who also chose to opt out. And he was a JC transfer, too. Yeah, a Juco, a Juco corner. So, again, more experience. And that's what I mean. Like, UCF is going to have to force in a lot of true freshmen into – you know, likely starting spots. Any chance I, I, that they get that they get Devod Wilson in uh, and eligible, or is there no word on that just yet? There's no word on that, and I, and I know I get asked about it every week, and, and there's still yeah. no word. As soon as as soon as as soon as UCF knows, like that's not one of the things that UCF like will try to hide from the media. Like if a guy if a guy gets his gets his uh, exception his waiver. Like, they'll let us know. So, Devon Wilson or, or Jaden Francois, I mean, I, I think Wilson would be a if, – if he's cleared to play, it would be gigantic just because of of what, you know, of what he's already seen in the SEC. Uh, he has experience there against top competition. Um, but also, I don't want fans to panic. Like, I remember Too late. last year. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Well, but, like, Tony Gray. Tony Gray, who now is now transferred. But Tony Gray last year, once he was transferred from Ole Miss, I believe he got word that he received his waiver to play. Uh, he got his transfer waiver on the Tuesday or Wednesday of the FAMU game. So these things could uh, these things could could arrive, you know, 48 to 72 hours before a game starts. And you know, as long as those guys are practicing, and at this point they all are, uh, then I I would not worry. You know, until we get to like you know, if we get to September 17th. And we don't know if Devon Wilson's eligible or not. Then, then we can start to fret a bit. One thing I did want to ask you also is about the O line because we touched upon this last week. Where, um, you, you know, it, what's the, it, with Gray transferring? Where does that leave UCF's O line depth? And you know, the answer was well, not as good as it was when he was here. And in addition to that, three guys. Right. All elected to opt out. And I remember you said last week on the show that, you know, yeah, if some, God forbid something happens, you know, UCF is going to have to rely on that depth, and especially mm-hmm. in the offensive line. Well, guess what? That depth just took a major hit with Allen Adams, Lamarius Benson, and Adrian Medley, all of whom are youngsters, but they've all decided to opt out. Are you more worried about the offensive line now? 
a little bit only because you're just taking away bodies. Again, we don't. I don't really know. Uh, you know how much those guys would have contributed. Uh, you know, Lamarius Benson was in a few games, uh, but but like the guy, the, you know, we don't really know if those guys would have had a major role this season um, because the offensive line at the top, as far as like the top six or seven, is pretty solidified, and and all, all of those guys are still there. Mm-hmm. Um, so Two of the guys who opted out were redshirt freshmen, by the way. Right, Sorry, I wanted exactly. To know, but... So the top, the top of the depth chart of the offensive line is intact. I'm not concerned with that. And they have guys, you know, they have guys like Sam Jackson is what I've talked about before on the show that can play every position and gives you a lot of flexibility. Um, the problem would become like, let's say they have a rash of injuries or certainly this year, let's say you have an outbreak at a certain position uh, and it's off its line. Well, now those lost bodies uh, would really come back to haunt you, I assume. Um, but right now, it's it's not reasonable to worry because we just don't. I don't know how those those three would have fit in this year beyond like mob up duty and like late game uh, reserve. Uh, you know, they're really kind of blocked by a bunch of guys who have already sort of solidified their spots on the two deep. Well, and I would also count. I would also counter if you're if you're already depending on redshirt freshmen to fill up your offensive line starting lineup, you're probably already in trouble. You're already probably you're probably done at that point. So if well, you're to that point, I I don't. Well, I, I don't I I wouldn't have depe- put it to that way I wouldn't depend I would not have been depending a lot of stock in them getting a lot of uh, playing time outside of the mop up duty so I mean it is what it is well okay there but there are exceptions I mean Edward Collins uh, sure sure going, yeah I mean Edward Collins is probably going to start at one of the tackle spots he played he played eleven games last year he started three of them as a redshirt freshman um so certainly there are there are I mean I, I believe didn't Jordan Johnson like start as a freshman like uh, i didn't obviously cole schneider was sure, uh, I think sure. yeah right 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 i would say one but i mean if you're depending on all three of them like we're talking about right. that that would have been a problem that would have been a problem now two yeah. of the guys two of those guys the offensive linemen spent most of last year with, with with the scout team and like i said i think if you look at not only the five across the line with with marcus tatum uh boudreau sam jackson cole schneider collins but Lokai uh, Paule, uh, which I believe I just pronounced correctly, uh, shocking to me. Uh, they have depth <laughs> at at the, the the they certainly have depth at the the, the guard position, and they can also switch out guys to tackle as well. Uh, I, I'm not, not concerned yet. It the concern comes if they have some sort of injury or virus outbreak. Uh, again, if we take away anything from this discussion, it's that I'm most concerned about the cornerback group on the outside. Because they're going to be depending on, on guys, a lot of guys who haven't played college football. Now, uh, Murph, you guys were able to talk to Josh Heupel earlier this week. We got a couple of bites from him on that. Uh, here is uh, first Josh Heupel talking about um, the opt-outs and then uh, him discussing uh, Tay Gowan. Well, I, I mean, everybody's perspective and and um you know situation with COVID is, is different and they're all valid and real um it's a most unique thing that most of us have ever encountered in in our lifetime right and and um you know so we've tried to uh, educate uh, our guys um continuously as uh you know what the best practices are uh, educate them on what we're doing here to, to help try to keep them as safe as possible um, you know, each of these kids uh, that chose to opt out have different reasons behind um, their decision. Um, they're valid. They're real. Uh, we support those guys and, and uh, 
we'll continue to help them. You know, obviously they're going to be away from our program and, and that type of thing, but continue to help them in, in other areas of their life. Coach, with Tay Allen opting out, what does that second cornerback spot look like? And Corey Thornton getting a, an All-American honor yesterday, is he a part of that uh, competition? Yeah, Corey's <clears throat> played extremely well. You know, first four days of spring ball, I, I said that. Um, and, uh, you know, when we had our, our first interview, he was one of the names that I brought up. He's just he's been really steady, playing with great confidence, and he's doing that because he's playing with great technique. He's able to reset from one play to the next play and just go play it free and independent of, of what's happened beforehand. Um, you know, his physical attributes, his length at the line of scrimmage um, causes issues for, for wide receivers, his length, and, and um, <clears throat> expect him to have a, have a huge year. Samara so Maxwell has had a good training camp as well. Uh, some of the other young quarterbacks uh, that I talk, talked about, uh, uh, you know, maybe a week ago uh, have played extremely well as well, you know, and uh, there's a lot of uh, competition there right now. So that's Josh Heupel talking about their options at cornerback with Tay Gowan opting out. Uh, I, you know, and I, I mentioned Corey Thornton, you know, leading into that question. And then Josh, as you guys heard, sort of referenced a, a, a few guys that, quote, he mentioned earlier. And then, and then he meant two weeks ago when we were on with him. We asked him about who's standing out in camp, and he brought up some of the freshman defensive backs, Justin Hodges, Quadra Bullard, and Devontae Brown. Uh, and so that's what he meant when he was saying those other guys that I mentioned earlier. But again, all those guys, along with Thornton, young guys who have not been tested at this level, uh, will be getting or should be getting uh, or, or are fighting for you know significant snaps. And it's going to be interesting to see how that all p- p- pans out. Speaking of things that people always ask Josh Heupel about when we get the chance, uh, Mackenzie Milton. Um Still no word, but, you know, everyone's going to microanalyze anything Josh Heupel says about McKenzie's recovery. Um, here is uh, Heupel discussing just that. I don't, I don't think week one uh, he'll be uh, be ready to go. Um, it's remarkable what he is, has done. And, and um, yeah, I mean, you look at from the initial injury, making sure that he's able to keep his leg um, to get to – being able to live a normal life to, you know, now, now become an elite athlete. Um, and guy just continues to defy the odds and, and push through every obstacle that comes in front of him. There's been a bunch and uh, you just can't say enough about his physical, mental, uh, psychological endurance and, uh, you know, the strength that it takes to navigate a rehab like he's been going through. And that's something that I think the the players inside of our program see and recognize and, you know, through their ups and downs uh, during the course of a day, a week, um, you know, it's something that they can point to to, to stay the course. And, um, you know, so uh, I think he's, you know, on his way to becoming um, coming back and, and playing at an really a, a elite level again. And, and uh, how fast he gets there, uh, we're going to continue to see. So Murph, uh, for some reason, people willingly hallucinated at your tweet that announced that, uh, that, 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 you know, recap that bite saying, oh, my God, he's coming back. And actually, no, he's he's working on it, right? Yeah. And so, you know, the question, you know, there about Will McKenzie, he was asked, will McKenzie be ready for week one? And that's why you heard Heifel kind of shoot that down right away. Uh, no, he will not play week one. And what I tweeted out from that bit was the the part where he says that, you know, McKenzie's on his 
way back to becoming a really elite level player. And I, I, I don't know if people like misread that because people saw that and started freaking out as if, you know, like, oh, he's he's close. He's really close. Like, no, I, I think it's a coach speaking really well uh, of this player who is, um, you know, just had, just had a phenomenal, inspiring rehab. And I know there's still a, a, quite a long ways for him to go. And I think it's Heibel just being optimistic that, yes, at some point you will see McKenzie Milton be a, be, you know, be a really, really good player again. But I don't think that's on the horizon per se. And, and so, you know, it's just, it's just some positive coach speak here. In, here but he was in, really, here. but I mean, it's one thing to be positive Murph, but he was like, he could have easily said, Hey, you know, he's doing great. It's progress. It's going to take some time in this, but he was like, Hey, he'll be back at that elite level. I think that's what got fans kind of like, Whoa, Hey, that was like, that was a, that was a pretty, more than positive by Josh Heupel. That was a pretty like that's a like wow really you think you'd be at that high elite level and then I think <laughs> what, what, what think, would you have liked him to say hey, he, when he comes back he'll be in and out he'll be okay I mean you know no no I'm just saying hey he's gonna, sometimes because sometimes you know coaches will say hey look it's take it it's just gonna take some time but he's making right progression and then yeah. but he was pretty high positive and I think this goes after UCF posting vi- uh, photos of him running and and. So I think that's why the and, and I'm so I'm defending the fans a little bit in that, you know, there's a lot of stuff being thrown out there now, you know, that would cause a reaction. That's all. I I I defend the fans' reaction to that a little bit, and uh, you know, they're obviously invested in McKenzie in this situation and how it plays out. I know. I mean, I wasn't expecting Josh to go that you know out of his way to talk about McKenzie the way he did. By far, it was the most optimistic. Uh, most like most, uh, you know, just uh, just, you know, rose colored statements that he's had about McKenzie so far. Um, so, yeah, that is noteworthy that, that he was able to not only say that he is, you know, on his way, you know, he's, he's doing well, but that he called him, you know, uh, he'll, he'll be an elite level player again. And I think people caught on to that. Um, but just also understand, like, it's still, a, I would say, still a, a pretty long way off. Uh, and there's still a lot of rehab for him to do. Um, and so, no, I, I respect the question he was asked about, will he be out there week one? Um, but that was never going to be in the cards. And I'm still skeptical that he will play any part of, you know, meaningful minutes this year. Um, but yes, just judging by his words and, you know, what, you know, and, and what he said, it is the most optimistic, you know, that he's ever, the most optimistic words he's ever used with McKenzie. And right. I also think also, by the way, the reaction, you keep in mind, a lot of people had just found out that Daryl Mack is opting out. So yeah. now you're asking about Milton. So that's going to be the, oh, wow, what about Milton? But as it turns out, who the guy that's going to be the, I don't know if it's the benefactor or whatever, so depending on what your perspective is, the new backup quarterback at UCF will not be McKenzie Milton. That's for sure. That's that's going to be who, Murph? Well, it's going to be Jeff Sharon's boy. It's going to Jeff, be this, it's going to be Quadri Jones in his career 517 passer rating. That's who. This is and Jeff Sharon is not uh, he's not ashamed to say he is leading the Quadri Jones fan club. I yeah, I listen, I am I am the unofficial chancellor of the Quadri Jones fan club for that very reason that he he has yet to throw an incomplete pass as a UCF Knight and two of his career <laughs> passes have gone for touchdowns. So so and you know what? Sue me. For what it's for what it's worth, Heibel did say that that Quadri has done a phenomenal job uh, in camp. He was splitting reps evenly with Daryl Mack before Mack left. 
Um, and I think Kaipel said, quote, Quadri is willing and more than capable of playing at a championship level at the quarterback position. Um, and, and it's just an inter- it's been an interesting, you know, nine, ten months for Quadri Jones, has it not? I mean, yeah. you know, ten months ago, he's ten months ago, he's, he's at a different school after leaving UCF. Alabama State. Alabama uh, State he committed to. Yes. And then shortly thereafter, uh, before spring ball, he's back at UCF, and now he's the number two quarterback uh, behind Dylan Gabriel. Now imagine, imagine if he had left, and Daryl was still, and Daryl still opted out, then you would have had Parker Navarro as the backup behind Dylan Gabriel, well, most likely, right? Well, maybe. Who never? It's like that's a kind of a tough what if game, though, right? I mean, that's a lot of what ifs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a fair point. That's fun to speculate. I mean, what, but let me let me just say that, though, what are we going to do, right? <laughs> right. I mean, you never know what happens there with you know if maybe UCF decides to go after another quarterback if Quadri would not have returned, right? I mean, who knows? Um, so I don't know about that, but look, it, I think it's a positive story, right? I mean, you meant you you you, you know the background. I think first mm-hmm. of all, credit to Josh Heupel. Can we give credit to Josh for addressing the opt outs, addressing the Milton questions? I thought he handled this very well. Mm-hmm. I, give, I give credit to the 10 players that opted out and how they handled it. You didn't, I didn't, I mean, you could correct me if I'm wrong. I didn't see them really talk about it on social media announcing it. They all kind of waited until it was out there and yeah. then they commented on it. I thought everybody handled this well. Credit to you, Murph. You've asked a question uh, in, in the media, in the media availabilities and, I, I was, you know, I, I just think this is all a lot of positives. I think there's not, you know, I hate, you know, I'm not surprised by it, but I'm, I was disappointed in the college national media making this sound like a negative story, which I don't see it as a negative story. The, the big headline is 10 players opt out. Well, the reason that 10 players opted out is because they all announced it at the same time. But I, I, I think you got to look True. deeper in the story. I think you got to look at it deeper. E- each of those 10 individuals have their own story and their own reasons to do it. And and, and there's no and, – and I thought Josh did a great job, and we played the clip, that it's all valid. Some of those are concerns about the virus. Some of them is obviously like Tay's going pro. Uh, some of them, quite frankly, some of those players weren't going to get a lot of playing time. They have an extra year to play with now with the NCAA ruling about the extra year. So why not opt out, focus on your studies, and come back next year? And you know what? There might be some guys like Mac that might look elsewhere. I think it's all positive, personally, and I just want to applaud. I, I give Josh credit for addressing it because there's a lot of schools out there that are not addressing any of this. And so uh, I just want to give credit to all of them and, and a shame on the national media to try to make this a, a negative spin on it, which I think was unfair. Uh, but that's college football well, negative media. Uh, well, right no, well, no, not let's let's be fair here. Like you said, everyone. It, the reason why you think it's negative is because all you saw was the headline: ten players. Sure. Opt out, and then everyone says, "Oh my God, what's the matter with UCF?" Where, le- right. where you made the great point that you know, with a lot of other schools, these these opt outs have come one at a time, right? And the other thing is, you know, as we alluded to before, uh, most of the you know the national audience doesn't understand how deep UCF is at those positions. So, you know, I in a in a headline only world, I can see why it would come off as negative, but I don't think that they're actively trying to make that a negative thing. It's just, you know, that's that's how that's how the that's how non UCF fans want to perceive it is. Oh my God, look at UCF, everyone's leaving. It's like, no, stop it. You know, we're just we're, it's no different than anybody else, really. And and 
the concerns that those players had, you know, were or maybe are still shared by the players who are still here. Players who are still going to play the season because they, you know, they they're they're still asking the coaches about, you know, so what's all that we need to do and what's all going to be done for us to keep us safe. Mm-hmm. I think everybody is concerned to for different sure. levels. And, right. and but, I think so, that's a, but I think that's a positive, Murph, though. See, I think some people are looking yeah. at it as a negative. I don't think that's a negative. I think there's a positive that there's dialogue and there's open communication, you know, because let's be honest, and I won't mention schools, but we've seen reports of other schools that that has not been the case at all. And I think if you're a UCF fan, if we all are, I think you have to like the fact if you're a player, you like the fact that you have that dialogue available to you and that you have options. I think that's what we should be celebrating, and I think that's I think UCF's handling this well, and I wish the national media would actually focus on that instead of trying to spin this as a negative. Because there's, and, I think, to, to me, there's other schools that are not handling this the right way that have not talked about it that's not being looked at. I think if you're a guy, like, like I think Mason Chalua is the perfect example. All right, he's a redshirt junior. He's probably going to be a, a backup again, but he's also entering his last semester before his graduation. So he's got he he's already got the extra year eligibility in his back pocket, and he's one semester away. With all of the uncertainty going on, why don't I just focus on my studies this final semester, graduate, and then once hopefully everything improves in the spring and we're in a different climate with the virus. And then I can come back, and I still have two years that I can use smart. to play it's college smart. smart. Yeah. It's just smart. It's smart. And I applaud the players for ha- for knowing their options and having options and making the best decision for them. I, I think it's great. I think this is a big positive in what has been otherwise a negative time in college athletics to see how the university, the coaching staff, the players have handled this. So I, I applaud everybody involved because, Murph, honestly – they could have eased Jeff. They could have easily not told us anything, and we may not have known anything for weeks. Yeah, yeah that's true. So, you know, so it was well. Yeah, overall, it was, it was, uh, it was well handled. Yeah, and and the other thing is that you know everyone wants to go. You know, like you said, it being a negative story now doesn't matter, right? What really matters is what's the end result. Because if if UCF ends up playing well without all those guys. You know, who cares what who who cares in in the end run, right? So, yeah, I don't, I, I, to me that's kind of a non-story. Anyway, um, all right, let's take a break. When we get back, we'll talk about some things around the American. We'll also talk about you know what's the deal with football attendance and the issues that came out uh, or, or or the uh, information that came out from UCF uh, and Danny White over this past week, and uh, we'll have a Major League Baseball update. Drew Butera making a little bit more history. Stick around. Be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you here. Follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. Also on Facebook at facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. And, of course, blackandgoldbanneret.com. We are SB Nation's home for your UCF Knights, uh, who, interestingly enough, uh, released their, their information on... Home attendance. Danny White uh, provided an update um, over the weekend. Actually, it was on Monday, um, detailing a bunch of things um, that I think were pretty interesting. Not just having to do with what football is going to look like, but also having to do with the budget and how COVID nineteen has actually affected UCF's budget. We'll get to that in a second. But first, the um, 
first the uh, uh, the the game day stuff. UCF uh, was uh, is going to be hosting home games at twenty five percent capacity, um, which which I wrote uh, you know a little bit earlier was was a little bit of a surprise considering that. Um, Sheriff Jerry Demings, when uh, who's or not Sheriff Jerry Demings? What am I saying? Um, the uh, Orange County Mayor Jerry Demings, who um, expressed some skepticism earlier last week about Orlando City's twenty five percent capacity at Exploria Stadium downtown, but had no jurisdiction over it. Um, apparently, went along with this, even though UCF's first home game right now is supposed to be October the third against Tulsa. Central Florida has been actually handling COVID-19 fairly well to this point. So I think the idea is, okay, let's agree to 25% now. We could always change it later. Um, And then we have a little bit more information, courtesy of uh, our very own uh, Danny Medina, who's provided us with just some excellent insight on this, on exactly who will make up the approximately 11,000 fans who will be in the stands uh, at the bounce house, uh, according to uh, according to Danny's reporting, about three thousand of those seats will be reserved for students, so eight thousand non-students. Um, the capacity limit could change throughout the season, um, and then uh, and in addition, uh, th- this I found interesting, guys. There will be no season tickets for twenty twenty. Uh, the, uh, the amount paid towards season tickets for this season has been converted to an account credit for all season pass holders. This is according to uh, what Danny has written, uh, which can then be turned into four game or two game packages or single game tickets for Tulsa and Temple. Uh, according to an email sent to season pass holders on Tuesday, there are three different options for any unused credit and uh, any unused account credit. Number one, you can just get a refund. Number two, you can apply your credit to the 2021 season ticket renewal to guarantee seats and price for next season, or you may donate all or a portion of that uh, deposit to a keep, to the Keep Charging On Fund to guarantee your seats and price uh, for next season. Um, the nightmare section, also the students will be uh, will be spread out through additional sections. Uh, of course, normally they're in the north side, but um they're they're, or actually no they're not usually the north and the south side depends on where they're um it depends on where you end up but uh for the student tickets there will be a lottery uh and for 1500 of them and then you can bring a friend basically so um and all ticketing will be um digital as well there will be no tailgating in the ucf parking lots for the at least for the october 3rd game um uh, there will be some photo stations at Iowa Plaza. Uh, the tailgate concert series won't happen, and there will be no on-field performances for the bands or cheer or dance teams. Uh, and all fans and staff will be required to wear a face covering uh, while in the stands. Uh, so I was pretty interested by the whole thing with, the, um, with them going with no season tickets at all. And then what you can decide to do. I think they. I think they're doing the fans a solid. You can get a refund, or you can put it towards next year. Um, we saw a couple of schools in the American actually do something. So I think Memphis was doing something very similar to that. Um, but what I thought was really interesting was uh, a little bit further down in Danny White's letter was some of the information that he provided about UCF's um, 
uh, financial impacts related to COVID-19. First of all, he said that they're projecting a 10 to $14 million loss due to the reduced number of football home games and limited stadium capacity and a projected $2 million loss due to additional COVID-19 expenses, basically things that $2 million that they had to spend on COVID-19 stuff that they weren't planning on spending it overall. Um, So right now, uh, and this is according to Danny White's letter, to help mitigate the revenue shortfall and cover the cost of COVID-19 safety safety measures, uh, the athletic department has created a new fundraising campaign. That's the Keep Charging On Fund, which we talked about before. This is the one that we talked about before that the the coaches had had donated to. Um, the goal for the key charge non fund was two million dollars in unrestricted giving. Thus far, the coaches and staff have committed nine hundred thousand, while alumni and fans have committed more than one hundred thousand. So they're about halfway to that goal. In addition, UCF is eliminating about one point six million dollars, or a ten percent reduction, with uh, within administrative and sport budgets compared to last year. Um, they were prepared with the assumption that full seasons would be played in all sports. However, additional reductions will be necessary as decisions are being made regarding competition. Um, construction prog- projects, approximately $4.5 million, all on hold. And there is a hiring freeze, even for unfulfilled positions uh, at, UCF, um, at UCF Athletics. So right now we're actually seeing the financial impact of uh, COVID-19. And, that, and it sounds to me like that's going to continue forward into the spring. Now, Eric, you talked prior to the break about how you thought UCF was handling the opt-out situations. How's UCF handling this publicly, do you think? Well, I feel bad for the ticket reps. I have to get phone calls and emails from people complaining about this from fans. I feel for them. Their their work is cut out for them. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. It's a tough situation, so there's no perfect answer on this. It's a crappy situation for everybody involved. Uh, yeah, I, I think the as far as the ticket thing, I mean, I don't know what other options you would prefer that they do if you didn't like this options. I mean, I, the problem they're in is everybody's dealing with this. Everybody's dealing with this. UCF's not alone in this, and every school is dealing with this right now. And honestly, I mean, I'm surprised they got 25% like you did to get people in the building. So the good news is, from a UCF standpoint, is you're going to have revenue coming in from that. So from a UCF standpoint, I like that. Uh, Then again, there's also the person who's lived for 20 years in Orange County that's wondering, is that a good idea to get back to normal soon? Who knows? (laughs) That's above my pay raise. I'll defer to you two because you are in charge of the unofficial black and gold banneret medical staff. Just like every conference, we have a medical staff. So I'll defer to you two on that. but, um, but yeah, I mean, as far as I'm not a doctor, but I play one on podcasts anyway. It's right. I mean, Express last night. I mean, and it, but as far as losing the money because of COVID, I, I'm, you know, I mean, join the club. I mean, who isn't losing money? Yeah. COVID right now. I mean, well, outside of it's, Zoom, if it's if to what, Zoom, it's to what you, you can, yeah, Zoom, you're probably making money. Well, it's to what extent are you losing that money and you can't get it? Back, I think, is the is the thing that they have to think about. Um, sure. uh, you know, it, it's it's going to be easy for for your Power Five conferences to recoup that with the money that they get from the TV networks, right? But you know, you see it for UCF attendance is a much larger piece of the pie, and uh, and I think that's you know that's rearing its head right now. It's it's going to be a tough year. Boy, you hope that you know we have this thing under control for next year because you know I think I, I think that overall they're 
again, it's the same situation as everyone else. You're doing the best you can, given the circumstances. Murph, what do you think? Well, it's not a $30 million loss, right? <laughs> right. Like, at least it's not that, which was seemed to, which was deemed to be the worst-case scenario back a, couple months ago, you know, a few months ago by Danny White. And I just imagine, you know, every week that goes by – Danny will be will be looking in and checking and whispering to whoever he can to see if can we bump that twenty five percent figure up to like twenty eight? How about how about thirty? <laughs> how about thirty one? Because you know again in 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 the in the release about you know what's going to happen. Yeah, a lot of that is you know for season long home games, but as far as the twenty five percent fans and the student section and then tailgating, all of that pertains to only. The Tulsa game, the home the home opener on October third. So this is all. Some of it is just sort of like, look, this is where we're at now, but we're not ruling out that we can improve these numbers if you know conditions warrant down the line. And I just imagine like every day, Danny White is just crossing his fingers, hoping they can uh, maybe increase it a little more for the next home game, the next home game, and we'll see. We'll, well see what probably, happens. But well, he's, not, and he's, and he, and he's probably frustrated. Because obviously, remember Murph. Remember he gate when he, he last spoke to the media. He talked about having a bunch of home games, having trying to get five, six, seven home games. Uh, you know, the thought was they would have the FIU game. That did not work out. They, there was speculation they might get FAMU as an independent. That didn't work out, and they're kind of stuck. You know, right? I mean, uh, then Josh Heifel started teasing us. About an, uh, about a home game. So so let I me mean, wait, so let me so do you yeah I, now do you think that still could be in play or do you think that's there's nothing to that? I don't I don't think I don't understand how that could be in play now. We're in September. Like how do you add a game with you know you know now? Well, we remember a couple years ago we added that Austin P game after the after the hurricane. I mean, if it happened yeah, then, it can yeah, certainly happen yeah, now, yeah, can I, it? I should have known that, but it was just interesting because again, that was a few weeks ago, and so because and, and Josh is pretty tight tight lipped about such things, so I don't think he would have said something unless he you know knew, and just didn't want to you know didn't want to spill the beans. He was gonna let that he was gonna let Danny or UCF do it, but obviously he knew something, and that's why he sort of hinted at well, I think we're gonna have more than nine games, uh, and and then since then nothing has happened. They're 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 still at nine games. And I, you know, we'll see. But I, certainly, it seems unlikely to me, at the very least, that they're going to add a tenth. Well, I mean, well, I, I'm not, I'm not ruling it out. I'm not ruling it out. Well, and this year, especially, you can't rule anything out. Uh, especially, you know, if you want to lead open a game later on. Here's the other question. Any and 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 I'm gonna. I I first guessed this. I wrote about this for Black and Gold Banneret. Right now, if you go to Black and Gold Banneret, you can check out our, our buddy Andrew uh, article, Top 10 Non-Conference Games That the American Has by Andrew Gluchoff. Of course, you can follow him at Stat Boy Drew. Here's the question I have. If they would have gone with my idea of going 10 conference games, and this is the thing I don't get with Mike Goresco, and if, you know, if, we ever, if he does a media availability, I hope somebody asks him this. I don't know why they didn't fo- go with the model similar to the ACC where you could have 10 conference games and then have one or two non-conference games if that's what schools wanted to do because under that scenario, you would have been guaranteed five home games and five road games, which would have helped Danny White right now in this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, he kind of got burned here 
Now, granted, other teams in the league have already filled up games. They did. They were much more successful in that. My question to both of you, and Andrew wrote the top 10 non-conference games. It's on the site right now. Was this worth it for the American to go eight conference games and try to schedule non-conference games? Because, you know, somebody asked me this question in response to last week's podcast and my comments about UCF chances to the playoff. And they asked the question is, do you think they would let them in only playing nine regular season games plus in theory a conference you know conference championship game so 10 games could that hurt them down the road and i i had i really didn't respond because i didn't know how to answer that i have to think about that that's an interesting question i just do you do you think that the the american might regret not going 10 conference games that's my question to both of you i don't know i mean yeah i guess in the sense that, like, could UCF would have been nice if they picked up a game against, uh, like, I don't think they're playing SMU. It would have been that, either that SMU been, or Navy. Would... It would have been either SMU or Navy. One of them would have right. been at home. The other one would have been on the road. Right. I, I would have, I would have rather. I mean, I would love to. I mean, I think UCF would like to play SMU because they, they should be a, a pretty decent team. Right. So, and that's an extra uh, yeah. home game in the gate, and you have five home games. Yeah. Uh, maybe so. Maybe so. I don't know. It's it's it's, it's hard know, to say. It's you got to remember that it, it's not just UCF who's dealing with this problem, and and it, you know what may have not have worked out for UCF does work out for someone. By the way, like SMU, who has uh, who has the the full complement of four non conference games. Granted, they're all in the state of Texas, to, um, but uh, two of them are against in state schools that are in FBS, but. Um, you know Texas State and North Texas, but they get their Friday Friday game at TCU, so so that gets in there. They're also bringing in Stephen F. Austin. Um, I think that at the time when they made that decision, they tried to. This is what the American, I think, their overall philosophy with all these policies are. You're trying to afford the maximum amount of flexibility for all of your members, right? That's why they didn't immediately come out and say we're only playing conference games like the Big Ten did. They're saying what, what they're saying right now is we'll we'll keep it at eight. We'll afford you guys the maximum amount of flexibility so that if things go well, hey, we can add some games. Maybe with some maybe with, with you know some Big Twelve teams, maybe with some ACC teams because they might be looking for stuff. Who knows? And in in that respect, you know, remember when UCF was able to confirm the Georgia Tech game. Things were looking up at that point. Well, circumstances changed, right? I don't fault the American for trying to keep, the, the, trying to give their members as much latitude as possible because we're seeing, look at what's going on with the Big Ten right now and how they tried to, they're saying, look, we're going to play in the spring. Well, now there's all these, there, there's also some real, you know, some rumor dropping about, oh, well, maybe they'll start in November or October. We don't know yet. No decision has been made yet. And regardless of how skeptical you are of that, you know, what a mess that is for the Big Ten. If the American did the same exact thing, well, how, how you know, what's the, what's the, well, what's the national narrative of that? God, look at the American. They, they call themselves Power Six, but they can't even get their football schedule together. In this respect, you know, you give your members as much latitude as possible. And if it works out, it works out. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Right. But, I mean, they, again, I'm just – because Mike Oresco and Murph, you could back me up on this. During this whole time, he's talked about how they're probably are looking at what the Autonomous Five is looking at and that they would probably do the same thing. And, and if he didn't say it, it was reported that that was kind of the lean. And yet 
he didn't really do what the like the ACC or the Big 12 did. Like the ACC went to 10 conference games and one non-conference. I would have thought they would have done that instead of going eight. And my concern is your biggest brand, UCF, who might be your best team, could be in a scenario where you're undefeated and you might get left out of the playoffs because the committee's going to say, oh, you didn't play as many games as, say, the ACC or the Big 12 champion. That's, I think, the, that could be something to monitor if it plays out that way. <laughs> oh, boy. Twitter's going to be a lot of fun if that happens. <laughs> I, I did want to um, give a shout-out to a couple people who, who, by the way, have the, the hardest jobs in all of UCF athletics right now. Uh, <laughs> Brad Strickland, the executive associate AD and chief financial officer, and Patrick Ransdell, who's the chief revenue officer. Godspeed, guys. Um, it's 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 a tough time, but we're with you. Okay, just just hang in there. We tr- trust you. Trust you. Trust that your efforts are are appreciated by the fans, and hopefully, will be rewarded handsomely at some point. Brad is such a cool dude. He's also the sports administrator for volleyball, so I've known Brad for a long time, and um, and he's just just an excellent guy. He was actually remember Brad was the interim uh, AD briefly when. George O'Leary resigned, and before Danny White was hired, Brad Strickland was the uh, was the interim athletic director for UCF for a period of time and stuck around. Brad's Brad's a cool dude, and uh, we're we're we stand Brad Strickland on the Black and Gold Banner podcast. Um, uh, a couple other things that we want to talk about that are actually on field related. Uh, th- believe it or not, they did have a media poll for the American. Uh, preseason rankings and wouldn't you know it your UCF Knights are number one uh 10 first place votes out of the 20 media who were uh who were polled uh ahead of Cincinnati number two with seven first place votes Memphis third with two SMU fourth Navy had one first place vote their fifth USF picked last East Carolina UCF's uh conference opener picked next to last Tulsa UCF's uh home opener picked third to last um First, the important stuff. Let's get that out of the way first. Did either of you guys place a ballot in this? We were not asked. And it should be noted that usually... This is a disappointment. In a normal year, in a, in a normal year you get third, there are 30 people that vote in this poll. So this year, there were only 20. Yeah. Wow. Clearly, we did not make well, the cut. I will, well, the one thing I disagree strongly with what Josh Heupel said this week on Tuesday, he said... Uh, that nobody remembers a preseason poll. I disagree because I remember last year's preseason poll and our very own Brian Murphy picking the Memphis Tigers. Okay, <laughs> I remember that vividly, Murph. I only bring throwing that up, the bulletin board and material out there like he did. Jeez. That being said, Murph, I bring that up because we've talked about opt outs here with UCF, and I would argue, as with all due respect to all ten guys on that UCF uh, list that made the opt outs, none of them. Uh, compared to the biggest opt-out in the conference this week, which resided in Memphis, which is a huge story. Yeah, Kenny Gainwell, the running back for Memphis, uh, elected to opt out. That that to me is a massive story, and I know it is, re- and, I, and I know you guys agree too, right, Murph? Well, yeah, but but Kenny, you know, Kenneth had a lot of a, a lot. Uh, his his heart would had to be heavy. He said in his statement that he had lost four family members to yeah. COVID-19, and that is really the reason why he's opting out. I can only imagine what this year has been like for him to be so directly impacted by this virus. 
uh, speaking from a football standpoint, I do not know, you know, I don't have great insight on like who is next on the Memphis depth chart, but Kenneth Gainwell was the only AP all American in this conference. And so now he's not playing. So yes, in terms of star power, uh, it is, it is definitely the most impactful opt out, but one that I think everyone can understand because of what Kenny Gainwell has experienced these past few months. Yeah. Um, and by the way, our thoughts go out to Kenny Gainwell because nobody should have had to deal with that kind of tragedy in any family at this point. And I can't blame the kid one bit and our thoughts are with him. Uh, class kid. I tell you what, how about those running backs out of Memphis who are just not just great players but great kids too. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he, we're, people will be rooting for him moving forward. No doubt. And, uh, boy, you just hope things uh, get better for him and everybody involved. And, you know, again, man, I, I applaud all these players. They got to do what they got to do, and they're, you know, and and being unselfish and and doing what's best for them. And I, I applaud that yeah. uh, since big time. So. Applaud to applaud to the coaches too for giving them the latitude to do that. Um, mm-hmm. I wish the fans were a little bit more forgiving sometimes, but yeah, you know. that'd be nice. Um, but yeah, but so yeah, no, I mean, all, and I mean, but I mean, to back to your point about the conference preseason standings, I mean. I do think they got it right as far as the top four, top five teams. Yep. I mean, I think yeah, I think that's pretty strong. I mean, I like SMU a lot. I think, obviously, we're going to, believe it or not, guys, We will, some of these teams will actually play this weekend. That's the S- rumor, anyway. Well, remember, right. SMU might be, like we were just talking about, might be at a disadvantage actually playing more games, don't you think? Yeah. Toward the end like, of the year, they're going to be more be. tired. Could be more or more likely to lose a game or drop or two, but they're still going to be pretty good. They open, I believe they play this weekend. So does Memphis. They're scheduled to be in prime time. Uh, this weekend, and then the game I'm more interested in that I'm it's probably the only game I'll watch is the Navy BYU game on Monday night. Uh, with all due respect, the Saturday games are garbage, but um, I'm interested to see Navy <laughs> wow. because they return a lot of guys defensively, but they don't return Malcolm Perry. And it's gonna be interesting who Ken Niamatolo has a quarterback running that offense, and I think that's gonna be fascinating because Navy's always the wild card in this. That nobody ever talks about Navy, and yet they always seem to be in the mix, and you know, so, for the conference championship. So, so I'm very interested to see them against BYU on Monday night. So quick, buy, so quick buy and sell here. So Eric, you're buying Nate, buying Navy stock at five, thinking they're going to go up. Uh, I, I guess only be, I want to see them on Monday. I mean, I'll know better after Monday okay. night. I want to see with the quarterback, but obviously I'm going to trust in Ken Namiantolo, who might be arguably the best coach in the in the league. Uh, are you selling anybody? Uh, Somebody who's way too high, you think they're going to finish way below where they are? Uh, let me look at it, Murph. You got any thoughts on that buy or sell? Anybody there? I well, I, we obviously we all know now who gave Navy its one first place vote, and it was obviously Eric Lopez. <laughs> uh, Darn right. Because uh, yeah, you have got you have got ten twenty, and then uh, Cincinnati. Yes, Murph. <laughs> actually, all right. I, I will admit I stole your ballot and I turned it in. I'm sorry. There you go. Look, it's an interesting like because you look at like the mid the mid tier of this conference. Like I think it's pretty clear like what we've gained from the preseason polls, national polls. Like there's a there's a top three in Cincinnati, UCF, and Memphis that are all close together. And but even like the mid tier, like SMU, Navy, Tulane. Like I really like that mid tier. Uh, it's a pretty strong conference halfway through, right. halfway down. Like you've got your obvious also Rands, and I'm sure UCF fans are are experiencing a lot of schadenfreude with USF being, you know, voted last, but, uh, but it's a pretty, it's a pretty deep conference this year. I, I do think it's important. And I think guys, 
we've talked about this in the last week or two, and I think we're going to – if as long as the Big Ten stays out of the season, and I'm not even going to try to project what's going to happen there because there, there's a lot of craziness going on with that stuff. Um, <laughs> all right? Like, I'm not going to believe the Big Ten's out until it's October, like, 30 – like, until it's 2021 maybe. I don't know. But with the Big Ten being out, the American is going to have a huge exposure here. We've talked about the TV slots. It yep. was also announced that UCF will play Georgia Tech at ESPN at 3.30, not to toot our own horn, but we told you, if you listened to this podcast last week, we told you that was going to be a good time slot they yep. were going to get for that Georgia Tech game, and they did. Um, this is a put-up year for the American because, to your point, Murph, UCF's good. Now, I think if I, if I had to pick a team to sell, it's Cincinnati just because I'm skeptical how good they could be without Warren, who was their workhorse in the backfield. Uh, yeah, but Luke Fickle got that giant contract extension, Eric. Well, you know, that's what happens when you drop your men's soccer program, so money frees up, I guess. Oh. <laughs> um, and I do, I mean, look, I mean, the kid Gainwell, Murph, you, I mean, the kid's special. That has to, I mean, I don't care who you are, they have in the backfield. That hurts Memphis. Uh, so I would say stock up SMU and stock down to Cincinnati or Memphis, both of them. But, look, this is a big year for the American because they have a chance here to get some great slots, and get some wins here and get some teams ranked in the top 25 and be in the conversation for the college football playoff. I really do believe the American has an opportunity, whether it's UCF, if they run the table, or a team like Cincinnati or Memphis SMU, to be in the conversation because with the Big Ten out of the picture, that uh, to me, in my opinion, that opens up a spot potentially, but they got to deliver. They got to deliver on the field, and it starts – uh, you would prefer your teams to take care of business this weekend, but the game I've got circled, Friday, September 11th, I believe is the date, SMU at TCU. That's a statement game there, uh, you know, with TCU from the Big 12 because odds are the American champion might be contending with the Big 12 champion for a fourth spot. You just don't know, but you got to deliver. you got to deliver now. You've always wanted the respect. You're going to get the time. You're going to get eyeballs watching you. Now it's time to put up on the field. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. friend of friend of the show, Chris Vanini, picked UCF to be in the CFP playoff uh, in the when the Athletic did their he, staff-wide college football picks. Yeah, and you, not to mention our, our old friend from SB Nation, uh, uh, Bill Connolly, um, his, uh, or, or, he was mentioning that uh, ESPN's uh, – uh, or, or UCF rather had a what a twenty? Per, uh, they were in like the, I think the top ten or somewhere. They were in the top twenty, certainly top eighteen. Uh, no, it was it was their FP. Uh, it, it was their FPI index had UCF as a twenty seven percent chance to make the playoff. Yeah. So think no, about look, that. Better is- think about that. Better than one in four. Yep. You can't. Co- yeah. I mean, I'm tell. I could make the argument as it stands now. As long as the Big Ten stay, if I'm the if I'm UCF and I'm the American, I want the Big Ten to stay away. Like <laughs> right. I want Don, I want Donald Trump to be involved all the time because if he stay if he stays involved, they'll probably never play a game ever again. So, <laughs> I, I to, so to me, that's huge. They could benefit them. This is why this, they're sticking around because they have the most to gain. And the one team in the American, you're right, the team that I think has the best shot is UCF because of the track record they've had the last three to four years. Yeah. And the narrative is there to be had, but you got to produce it. That's why I mentioned the, the scheduling. I hope UCF it doesn't come back to haunt them, the lack of games they have. You mentioned the disadvantage about SMU, but at least SMU has a full slate, so the committee can't punish them for a lack of games like they could 
potentially the UCF. But this is a, a I think it's the most important year for the American in its existence because of the opportunities it presents itself. And you can make the argument this could be the most important season in UCF football history. Wow. Eric Lopez bringing the I heat want, here. I I'm, want Murph I'm digging Bourbon this. Street, man. Let's make it happen. Bourbon Street for no, 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 no. Not Bourbon Street. Listen, we want Murph to return to his old stomping grounds in Pasadena, California. We oh. want to see UCF in the Rose Bowl, baby. That would be just amazing. Oh, that would just stick it to the Big Ten now, wouldn't it? That man? would be Big, just the Murph, most remarkable thing ever. How would the Pac-12 and Big ever. Ten people handle that, that the, the granddaddy of them all is going to be uh, black and gold end zone, baby? Huh? All I, can hear, all I can hear is Keith Jackson and, like, calling a UCF game. That's all I hear. Like, uh, the voice of God, Keith Jackson. God rest the godfather, Keith Jackson. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. I don't, See, the only thing I worry about that is I feel like UCF fans will be criticizing Keith because Keith will be like, well, that's a Central Florida touchdown. Oh, Nelly. And, I, <laughs> and instead of instead of just being an honor of Keith Jackson calling our game, we're going to be mad that he's calling a Central Florida. We could, well, you know, you know what? We, you, you, let's say it, if it happened, you would probably have uh, Fowler and Herb Street, who are familiar with UCF, obviously, having been here for the Cincinnati game in 18. Right? Yes, they always call the Rose Bowl. You're correct on They're, that. They and always do the look, Rose Bowl. I, I really do, guys. I really think if UCF runs the table, they're going to have people on their side on the meet. This is, you know, because they've done it now for a few years. And I know people, we said this three, four years ago, and people didn't want to hear it. Oh, that's not fair. It should be about now. And this, the success of 17 and 18 is could pay off this year because you have it, but you got to produce it on the yeah. field. Um, for sure, to your point. But yeah, I mean, it, that's why this is. It, it, there's a lot at stake here, a lot to gain. I don't want to say at stake because you know it, it, it's more to gain than lose if you're the American or UCF. But I, it's a huge opportunity here for this league. They can make themselves. They can make themselves if things go a certain way for them. Mm. Stop, Eric. Stop. Stop while you're ahead. You're you're getting people's hopes way too high up here. <laughs> hey man, just call it. I, I I know. I know. It's like ah, oh, God. Boy, would yeah, that be I'm something? Feel, I'm feeling. I'm feeling all tingly inside. I know. Did you like my Keith? You like my Keith Jackson there? Huh? Like a little. Hey, Ellen Gabriel with a touchdown. Such a Florida. Hey. And he, would, and he would call us Central Florida because he would always call USC Southern California. You know, it was just great. I mean, like, <laughs> just awesome. I Central mean, Florida. On. But, um, gosh, boy, wouldn't As that... long as he just calls us the Knights and not the Golden Knights, I'm good. Uh, now, Fowler and, uh, and Herb Street would do us right on that. I, I think I think they, they, oh, would, yeah. they, they, they would do us a solid on that. They game a couple years ago. They were yeah, good. it was great. Um. Last thing before we wrap things up, we got a little bit of baseball catching up to do, Murph. Um, oh, baby. Our boy Dylan Moore uh, has not returned yet from the uh, injured list with his wrist injury, although we expect him to be back this weekend. Is that right? Yeah, he could come back this weekend from his, uh, from his wrist injury. Correct. Okay, and resume his pursuit of the American League Most Valuable Player Award. He's got some ground to make up. Uh, but I, I guess anything's possible in the parlance of Kevin Garnett. Exactly. Anything is possible, and certainly this is. Uh, what did we have here? Uh, oh, uh, Ben Lively um, got his uh, KBO stats up there. Recently had a rough outing his uh, last time out against uh, against Kiwoom back on uh, the 30th. Uh, that was on Sunday. He threw 
uh, four and two thirds, 126 pitches, gave up three earned runs, 10 hits, uh, walk three, no strikeouts um, against Kiwoom um, as the season, as the KBO season progresses, but we're keeping an eye on Ben. Um, and then uh, some history for one Drew Butera. Um, so Drew with the Rockies, uh, another pitching outing uh, in mop-up duty uh, for Drew Butera. Made a little bit of history, didn't he, Murph? Yes, he did, Jeffrey. Uh, first of all, uh, as is usually the case when you have position players pitching, uh, Drew got involved in the eighth inning of an absolutely horrendous baseball game <laughs> in which the Rockies were trailing by about 20 runs in the <laughs> So they decided to call upon Drew for his seventh career pitching appearance, his first since 2018. He then became the first Rockies pitcher of that game in which they allowed 23 runs to uh, throw a scoreless inning. They had five previous pitchers who, again, are actual pitchers who didn't throw a scoreless inning, and yet Drew Butera comes in and did and also struck somebody out, struck out a real major league hitter. Uh, it is, uh, like I said, his seventh overall appearance, and he is, I want to bring this up, he is, along with his father, Sal Butera, who was also a catcher in baseball back a few decades ago, uh, Sal actually made two career appearances as a pitcher in his career, so Sal and Drew are the only father-son position players to ever pitch in a Major League Baseball game. Uh, now that, you know, it's just, uh, that's and, information and, you can't get anywhere else, but right here look, on the black and gold banner at podcast. I will say that Drew Terra has, has certainly lost some, uh, some of his fastball. Actually, he's lost it entirely. Um, because <laughs> he threw one, uh, last night, he's mostly throwing, uh, some like humpback curveballs to the giants at like, like high seventies, low eighties. I remember, I remember watching Drew. It had to have been in 2014 when he was with the Dodgers. I watched him pitch a game, uh, and he was throwing legitimately. He was throwing 91, 92 miles an hour. Uh, so, so you know, as he's as he's aged, he's lost a little bit off the of fastball. But like any good uh, experienced pitcher, he's working off of his off-speed stuff. And uh, and so, I think it's I think it's hilarious. Uh, and I, look at this point with how bad the, the Rockies have been of late, and their pitching staff is no good regardless. I mean. Uh, I don't, you know, Kyle Freeland's been okay, but and then now I'm getting carried away. I think we might see him again some point at this shortened season. Uh, and look, if he can throw up a scoreless inning, like, hey, that the Rockies can use that. Well, well, interesting you bring that up because we did the research on this before we went on the air. And if he does come in, he would he would get a little bit closer to um, to an interesting mark because uh, we deter- we found this out. Now, this is unofficial. But uh, apparently Drew Butera uh, has the second most pitching appearances by a position player since the advent of the designated hitter. He's got seven total for his career. And uh, who did we determine was the leader with the le- – I know he has 11. I think it was uh, – was it Carlos – it was a, it was a Jimenez. Carlos Jimenez, yeah, so far uh, – uh, the, uh, of the Minnesota Twins. Yeah. So, so- – you know, hey, hey, I mean, if he sticks around, look, Drew Butera at this point, I, I mean, you, I, I don't know when he's going to stop playing Major League Baseball. And I hope like never. Around, 
Uh, it seems like he's going to be around forever. I hope he's Joe like Oliver. Joe Oliver. Like, he just stays on a roster for about 25 years. I mean, at this point, he might as well. And uh, so uh, I love this. Uh, the fact that he struck somebody out uh, was tremendous. By the way, I do. I believe that Drew, I believe he's now thrown five major league innings. I believe he's not, he's not, he hasn't walked anybody, but he has struck out five. So, again, great That's great command, out. man. That's great That's, command. Yeah. Great strikeout to walk ratio. Yeah, the ERA is a little high, but again, uh, you know his career ERA is I think seven point five. That's like that's only like like tenth. Like that's like middle of the pack for the Rockies. That could be the uh, eight, that could be the um, ace for the Boston Red Sox in twenty twenty. I mean, really? Let's be honest. Uh, so you know what? <laughs> to 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 the Colorado Rockies out there, please continue to have awful pitching performances to force Drew Butera back into these games. I loved watching this last night uh, and, and looking it up and looking up stats about it, and um, I, I hope it happens you again. Saw, you saw it pitch in person. In your I did. Interview. And I, I, and I don't – oh, God. I, I hope I have time to, to look this up. I believe I was at the game where he struck out Marcelo Zuna, uh, who was on uh, – I, I think he still might have been on St. Louis at the time. But uh, I believe I saw him strike out Marcelo Zuna and in a Dodger game and that was tremendous because like I, I it's just it's it's amazing when guys get, get you know it's amazing when catchers come in and strike out legitimate major league hitters and uh, Drew's done it a few times and maybe he'll continue to do it all right well we'll be watching for Drew um let's go ahead and wrap this thing up here anything uh Murph what do you have coming up that at least that you're looking forward to this week we're slowly but surely tiptoeing into college football we got some teams in the American that we're going to be watching but um, I know there's a scrimmage that's supposed to take place on Saturday uh, yeah. at UCF, which no media will be in attendance for, unfortunately. But um, it's what else are we what else are we looking at right now? Because since football is right now is the only thing that's going to be going on. Yeah, well, it'll be UCF second scrimmage, uh, and I mean, to those who are listening, or by the time you listen to this, we will now be a week away from a regular season NFL game. Which blows my wow. mind. Which really? means, uh, Murph, you know what that means. It, and this is a big weekend for fantasy football getting set for yeah. the NFL. Murph, any advice as the guru of fantasy that's football? That's right, ladies and gentlemen. You must Thank follow you. Spokes underscore Murphy yes. on Twitter for for your, your up to the second fantasy football updates. Sunday mornings, it's the, it's the best time of the year, the best time of the day. You wake up, you see Murph's tweets. About huh. NFL fantasy football, and usually I harass him if he doesn't get up. I'm like, "Come on, man, let's go." No. <laughs> uh, but what, I mean, this is what, can you give a, advice to those that are maybe doing their drafts this weekend uh, with optimism of an NFL season on the on the uh, horizon? Uh, as I said to one of you who told me before this 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 show started that you kept you you picked Leonard Fournette to be one of your keepers. That is not a good decision. I know he is signed with the Bucks, but he, look, I know people won't, won't like this. Leonard Burnett is actually not very good. He's actually not very good. He's a big dude uh, who can is a little bit of pass catching shots. He really is like a poor man's Derrick Henry, but like a really, really, really poor man's Derrick Henry. Um, anyway, can we send a recording of this to Leonard Fournette just for fantasy, the, for fantasy football the, purposes? Just you no, know, Leonard, you I know also, you're you're not very highly regarded fantasy wise. <laughs> I also want to point this out. Uh, yes, in a previous life, I did used to wake up at 4 a.m. Pacific time uh, on Sunday mornings to write fantasy articles because before I started doing UCF, 
like I covered fantasy football for I don't know like 15 years. It was a it was a, it was a wild ride. I am trying to uh, detox myself off of that, <laughs> which is why I'm doing this. So no, I will be answering some tweets. If anybody wants to answer, like ask me, like start start seven questions, like that's fine. But like I, I am done with that era of my life. It, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think I, I think about ten. I, I'm thinking about you know 11 a.m. on Sun. Uh, not this coming Sunday, but next Sunday. There, it's going to be like, man. Every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. All right. How about oh. this, Murph? How about this? How about this for our audience? Yeah. Is there a UCF night you like fantasy football wise in the NFL right now? Anybody you I think? Mean, well, Latavius Murray is is probably like the guy who is most you know, in the catbird seat, if something happens to Alvin Kamara. And, and certainly if you've been following the, 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 the news the last couple of days, like, uh, you know, are the saints, are, will they be willing to trade him? Which, which, which is insane. Uh, it's really just a bargaining ploy to get him another contract. Uh, but if anything happens to Kamara, like Latavius Murray is going to be an RB one. Uh, he has proven that before. Um, so yeah, like certainly him, I am, as far as the new guys, like, I guess I'm interested to see what Gabe Davis does with the bills. Cause his skill set right now is basically as a deep man, and Josh Allen has a huge arm. Josh Allen has really bad deep ball accuracy, but I'd like to see that connection a little bit this year. Um, but otherwise, you know, uh, I, no, I, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. Not not high on Brashad Perriman at the Jets. I okay, that is a disaster. I feel so bad for Brashad Perriman. Look, he really rehabilitated his career last year in Tampa Bay. He was in the perfect offense to do that, though. He was in an offense with just just a quarterback who had no abandon in Jameis Winston, a system that really worked his his, his sort of field-stretching skills, which he still has. Now he goes to the Jets, where even Le'Veon Bell is barely like a mid, or mid-range RB2 at this point. And I, I just know I cannot see Brashad Perriman being any more than uh, a mid-range you know, wide receiver three, sort of dart throw in the bye weeks. I'd be shocked if he's anything consistently – if he's consistently productive. Uh, and look at me. Now I'm rambling as if it's like – There you go. Beautiful. You're it's back. Beautiful. He's back, it's baby. Beautiful. Jeffrey, um, we, we may have to do during the season here. Just give Murph a segment on fantasy football on this show. No. Just, go, just go all in. <laughs> no. Well, since, we're, well, no. since we won't have any Olympic sports to talk to, Lord knows we have time in the rundown. What I'm saying. We, 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 know, we have slots <laughs> to fill. Yes, we do. It's a good point. You don't, you don't understand. <laughs> 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 Eric, either, what do you? It's either it's either that or I'm doing more Keith Jackson impressions the whole time. <laughs> oh boy, that's that's what we're All right, down. Murph, through. you got to save us on that one. Eric, what do you have coming up this week? I got a new I got a new roof going to be built here in the next few days. So a lot of noise on my house. So while I deal with that, uh, we'll be just following. I will we will be having the UCF assistant coaching rankings coming out. Uh, stay tuned for that. The top thirty to come out plus. Gentlemen, worth pointing this out. A special, uh, unique, you know, the uh, September 1st this week. Special date in UCF football history. Why is that? I'll give you a second to think about it. Yes, right. I'll give you a second. September 1st, 1996, UCF became officially a Division I football program. They moved up. Oh wow! Was is was that 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 had been the date of the first game as a Division One program? That right? week, that week was their first game. I think they were just because kinda, I, th- I, I think they I, the, you officially move up in the summer, like July first. I think. Correct, right? right, right. But their first game was the they for some reason we acknowledge and I wasn't around, 
They were acknowledged as September 1st, being a, as a division. They were acknowledged as a Division One uh, program, and they played, I think, later that week or so uh, as a program. So this, if the season starts in a couple weeks, it would be the 25th season of UCF football in Division One. And we will have rankings of some of the most memorable UCF football games in Division One. That'll be coming out. Uh, we'll probably wait till the week of the Georgia Tech game so we don't jinx anything. Yeah, right. Jeff, Jeff, if I could butt in here because you know I, I like to make this show like just absolutely interminable. Uh, I, I should mention that we are, or I, we will be talking, or the UCF media will be talking with uh, a couple of assistant coaches since since Eric brought up assistant coaches on Thursday. We are scheduled to meet with Alex Golesh the tight ends coach, and Anthony Tucker, the running backs coach. Uh, and I'll be writing something up off of what they say. Well, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there. And also, I did want to confirm that, yes, I was at the game where Drew Terry struck out Marcelo Zuna, and I undersold it. He struck him out on a 94-mile-an-hour fastball. My gosh. That's UCF Athletic Hall of Famer, Drew Butera. Oh, I'm all, Bringing I'm the all, gas. Uh, nice. Between, between, between this and the playoff talk, I, I need I need a cigarette. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll give you talk. well we'll give you the opportunity to do that here uh, right now. Make sure you follow us, of course, at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, and Spokes underscore Murphy. And of course, you can hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. And uh, by the way, don't be afraid to send us some questions here. Some listener, I'm looking to do, I want to do another. Uh, Ask the Banneret segment. I, I've been bad about soliciting that on Twitter. So, um, and if you got fantasy football questions, we'll take that. No, 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 no. I got. I, we'll leave that for next my, Sunday my, and Murph's Twitter account. My, my therapist said no. <laughs> <laughs> I said no. No means no. Please, no, no more. Uh, all right. So, uh, so like I said, stay in touch with us, and uh, we'll be soliciting some questions from the from the uh, listeners as well throughout. Uh, this next week Uh, for all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret uh, and for Eric and Brian I'm Jeff Sharon saying thanks for listening we'll catch you again next week as we get one week closer to full scale college football or at least as much as we're going to see in the fall and UCF's opener against Georgia Tech thanks for listening we'll catch you later